0: From Jordan-Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena, from the Plains to the Recruiting Trail, and all points in between, if it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle or War Eagle? That's it? War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello.
1: Hey everybody. I'm Brendan Marcello, joined by Jason Caldwell. Welcome to the podcast. It's, I guess they call it the unofficial kickoff of the football season. The SEC calls it kickoff now. Uh, They call it media days in smaller letters on their logo, but it says kickoff in huge letters as if there's a football game being played (laughs) this week at, uh, at the Winfrey Hotel in Hoover, Alabama, but... It's SEC Media Days. Began Monday. will run through Thursday. And if you're wanting to hear something about Auburn, you're not going to hear something from one of the Auburn players or an Auburn coach, that being Gus Malzahn, until Thursday morning. In fact, Auburn is scheduled to be the very last team of the 14 teams in the SEC to uh, speak in the main room there. But we'll speak to Gus Malzahn earlier in the day Thursday. We hope to have some things from that. But, Jason, um in a lot of ways this is kind of like summer winding down for reporters and obviously for coaches they get get ready for practices or getting ready for all that we're writing our stories getting ready to preview the season but media days i mean you've been around it for a while um i've i've been around for maybe 10 years even just in my 10 years it has changed quite a bit to a point now where it's more or less a television event for the sec and the sec network more so than say a place the media goes and gets, you know, interesting stories.
0: Absolutely. It's completely different. Um, And you understand age two, everything is instant. You know, there's, you know, it's, you know, like I said, people, if you care enough about this, you're watching it on sec network. You're watching the coaches talk, all those things. Whereas, you know, even like you said, even ten years ago, there were things that you know pe- fans, people wouldn't learn about until it was written about, uh, or until they maybe saw a video on on the website. You know, some of those things. Now it's it's instantaneous, whether it be Twitter, um, you know, Instagram, Facebook, uh, obviously the TV stations that are there, but uh, you know, you know more importantly the SEC network. So um, between that and the fact that it's a never-ending news cycle now. Um, you know, Gus Malzahn speaks a couple of times during the spring and summer. And I know I was at one, you were at a couple of those that assistant coaches talk. There's, there's news throughout the cycle. Whereas, you know, back 20 years ago, spring football ended. You had some summer football camps and recruiting. And then this was the first time you really got news again. Um, that's not the case any longer. There's news all the time really. And, uh, so because of that, you're right. They call it the, the, you know, the kickoff, but, you know, we're going to do this and then we're still going to have a long time before the first football game. So it's not really a kickoff and we got a while before the first practice. And so there's a lot of downtime after this little run of news that we'll get on Thursday.
1: I guess the the good news for Auburn fans, because as you said, everybody's so up to date now, and you're when you're involved in following your own team. I mean, everybody knows if you're an Auburn fan, you know everything there is to know practically, and you'll learn a few more things in the coming days. But uh, the I guess the good news is is that two weeks from uh this coming Friday, Auburn opens practices. But I'm going to tell you, you guys know this as fans, and Jason knows that I know it. Those two weeks drag by. Um, because it is just, okay, we got all this information or got all this stuff to write for media days, you write it. And then it's like, okay, now we need to wait for, to actually see some practices because, uh, talking seasons, talking season, and as you said, we've discussed this stuff over and over again from talking to position coaches, assistant coaches, to our sources through the spring and the summer, you can only say so many things so many times, um, these coaches and these players are itching and scratching uh to get to the practice field and figure out some answers, just just like the fans are. But if you're expecting Gus Malzahn to sit down with this Thursday morning and go, you know what? I've decided that uh we're going to <laughs> ahead and make Joey Gatewood the uh first quarterback out there. Uh Bo Nix is gonna play some. Uh I've made a change here and there. Um, I'm going to hand over play calling duties again. Nothing like that's going to happen. Um, Media days is a situation like Jason said, a lot of these writers that go out and they kind of do previews of these teams for their local papers uh, that they don't know about these other teams. That's stuff that we do and everybody else does. But other than that, like anything newsy or big that comes out of these things, I it's it's maybe it's just because I'm so cynical at this point with it, but I can't remember a time where I've sat here and went, "Wow, that there was huge news that came out of that SEC Media Days that really kind of shook the foundation of everything as far as whether it was from one team or Auburn or anything like that." It's just it's just superlative after superlative. This is our team. This is our roster. Um, worked work
0: really hard in the off, harder than we've ever worked in the office. Yeah. All, all the cliche things.
1: Yeah. Everybody's bigger, stronger, faster. Everybody has the best strength and conditioning coach in the country. Um, they feel good about their experience. Their youth is going to be okay uh, and all that stuff. And every now and again, you get some players talking about other teams. Like on Monday, there was a couple – Kelly Bryant talked about his – flirtation with Auburn before he went to Mizzou, but listen, those were things we all heard in December. Um, he was just repeating what he said back then. And anyway, um no sense in repeating that stuff over and over again here on the podcast. So what Jason and I are going to do is we're just going to answer your questions because to me, this is probably the final podcast we get where we don't necessarily have something to talk about <laughs> other than maybe answering some of your questions. Um, we'll have actual things to discuss. I mean, recruiting's about to, to die down a little bit. Uh, August is going to be completely silent. You know, players aren't going to be able to, to visit campus. It's going to be all practice all the time up there as far as football. So let's get some questions in before we head to Hoover this week and chat with Prince Tega and Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown and Gus on answer your questions. And then once we get to media days and after that, we'll have plenty more to talk about. So um, I want to thank uh, two questioners for calling into our hotline. I call it the hotline. It's just a Google voicemail line that you can leave a voice message. I want to thank you two uh, for leaving messages and we're going to answer your questions first. And at the end of the podcast, I'll provide the phone number that you can call to to leave questions and we'll maybe answer in a future episode of the podcast. Here's just a couple of questions from our first caller.
0: Yeah, I've got two questions. You can just honestly take your pick. Um, So the first one is, what is the likelihood, and you and Jason's opinion, of uh, the linebacking core as an overall group taking a step forward, even
1: though um, we're losing three seniors, um, as these guys, you know, arguably may be better athletes and may be able to cover sideline to sideline better. Um, So that's the first question. Um, and the second question is, uh, do you see um, an expanded role
0: for our two sophomore safeties that played so well behind uh, Dingle Thomas and Jeremiah Denson last year, um, Smoke Monday, and, and I forget the other guy's name, but um, those are two questions um, that we'd love to hear you guys talk about. Thanks. You know, it's it's, it's really interesting because I, I think on um, the surface, people would go, I, I don't see how that would be possible. Um, because of the experience that you lost but i mean there's some talented guys coming in i think kj Britt's gonna be really good um i think he has all those leadership qualities that you're looking for all the things that um that sean davis brought to the table i think kj Britt can be a similar type player um chandler wooten had a really good spring and has really come on I know travis williams has been excited about his progress and then those two young guys the Cody mclean and owen popo i mean you know Pepo's you know one of the top players in the country and has gotten bigger and stronger and more physical and um I think they have a chance to be as good um but maybe a little bit more explosive than than last year's linebacker core was maybe in in some of the things they can do on the edge with a guy like Owen Pepo but the key to to any linebacker core is you know those guys up front having Garrett Brown back and Marlon Davidson and Nick Coe. um they got some depth there if those guys do what they're capable of doing up front, then this linebacker group should should be able to make a lot of plays and maybe make more big plays than, than the guys did the last couple of years. So I think there's a chance they could uh, could be as good and, and maybe um, maybe make more impact plays than they did the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, I, I just think they'll need some time to gel. The, the talent's obviously there. I mean, what, what Travis Williams has done in recruiting and bringing these type of players in to where – we're talking at this point where they just reload instead of having to rebuild at the linebacker spot, which has been so common really over the last eight, eight years, maybe seven or eight years at Auburn. And now you've gotten to a point where I I believe they're getting to a point where they could just reload. Um And and reload with some really good players, as you said, I mean, KJ Britsman, like my one of my favorite players for the last two years, because I love the way he attacks the football, whether it's on special teams or even uh, when he does get in there on defense. And I can't wait to see him in a starting role. But I'm really excited to see how Owen Papo does when he gets there out there on the field, because Travis Williams has been singing his praises throughout the summer. And Pat is not your typical, you know, I say typical, but he's not like your five-star guy that comes in and you go, you just expect him to play off his talent. But he's just been bothering Travis Williams over and over again, asking him questions and texting him all the time about stuff. The kid really not only wants to play, but he wants to learn. And that's a great, great sign. And plus he's just uber talented. So I'm interested to see how these guys uh, perform. And, uh, you know, heading all the way back to the spring, all I heard during the spring was just how – uh, su- pleasantly surprised kevin Steele was with that group and uh and how much that helped them with that defensive line um and those players because throughout the spring it was just like the defensive line is the defensive line everybody else has got to kind of prove themselves and then like it turned out that the linebacker group was playing better than the defensive line at times um and that was quite surprising to them what are your thoughts on the uh on the safeties that are coming up jason
0: uh i on, on paper and, you know, we've seen a little bit of a smoke Monday in Jamie and Jamie Sherwood already. I think on paper right now, you go Auburn's too deep at safeties. They, they may be as good as, as anybody in, in this league in terms of the depth of that position. You know, you, you don't have a Grant Delpit up top, but what well, Daniel right. Thomas has played exceptionally well and been really solid. Jeremiah Benson from everything we've gathered is, is better physically now that he's been, since that injury as a freshman. And that's really good news for Auburn. But we saw smoke Monday and, and Jamie Sherwood make some plays last year. Heck, even a guy like Malcolm Askew stepped up and did some things in the spring. I think from, from a depth standpoint, I, I think that safety position is is probably one of the, the better spots on this team on either side of the ball.
1: I agree. The depth is really, really good at that safety, at the, both safety positions and, having the experience that they have at the two starting spots uh, is incredible. And then being able to allow players to play a season or two before they are going to have to be leaned on in 2020 and beyond is going to be huge for Auburn, but also that later this season, whether a player comes down with an injury or they just need more reps uh, or excuse me, more time on the, on the bench and the players behind them need more reps um, they're going to have them in practices coming into the season. And then obviously going through the season, I, I think that group um, besides the defensive line is the deepest. And I would maybe argue that safety spots are deeper just because, you know, if you're too deep at the safety spots, you're good for that entire year.
0: Um, yeah. And, because, and the thing about it is both guys can play both positions. So exactly. you're almost like double, double depth. And that's something that, not as easy to do on the defensive line other than maybe Marlon Davison and Dick Coe.
1: And that's not counting other players that are playing corner or nickel that could move to safety if they had to, or vice versa. Um, There's a lot of moving parts back there that they could move, but they're not going to have to because they've got some really good guys already in those spots that play naturally at the two safety positions. Uh, Two good questions there. Our next caller...
0: Just uh, Dan in in Greensboro. Uh, Thanks for taking uh, these voicemails questions uh, for your podcast. I I basically had two questions. One, uh, what are you and Jason hearing about the uh, Auburn announcer uh, for football, and do you anticipate having the same announcer similar to Rod for uh, all three sports? Do you think they'll uh, break it up into different announcers for the different sports? And My football question uh, is in regards to Michael Harris, uh, freshman linebacker, where he is on the depth chart. And, um, uh, if we we'll expect to see him on the field this year, thank you.
1: Uh, Jason, I, I haven't looked into it uh, to be quite honest, because, um, I, I just have, I haven't wanted to bother anybody about it, but uh, have you heard anything about, um, you know, the, the difficult transition there with, uh, replacing Rod Bramble as the voice of the Tigers?
0: Yeah. You know, nothing other you know, it's, it's, you're right. I think I've been in the same boat, um. Being really close to, um, a lot of people involved in, in this, obviously, uh, you know, Andy Burcham and, and Brad Law, Paul Ellen, all those guys are guys I've known for a long time. And I think all guys that could potentially be in, in the picture to, to you know, be the next, uh, play by play after football. So, um, in that regard, I've kind of, I've kind of left it alone and, and it'll be one of those things that, that Chris Davis, uh, who's, who's over, um, you know fox for auburn um the ceo for for the auburn side of things will be heavily involved in this decision there'll be others and i'm sure have an input as well but i really think it um it'll be something that we you know we'll probably find out um maybe in the next couple of weeks i think it'll be something that they want to try to get done to give somebody a chance to to kind of settle in a little bit uh and to get a feel for um you know, there's got, there's, there's a lot of things involved. It's not just, you know, hey, calling the football game. You know, you think about, um, Tiger talks that'll be starting up and all those things that, that are those responsibilities as well. So, um, I think that probably, um, the next few weeks that we'll, we'll start to, uh, to maybe hear something on that.
1: A caller also wanted to ask about Michael Harris and how he see how we see him filling in on the depth chart at linebacker. I, I think he's gonna play quite a bit this season, Jason. What about you?
0: Yeah, I think he he's a different kind of guy and, and and I think other than Octavius Brothers coming in uh as a true freshman, those are the two biggest bodies back there along with, with KJ Britt. And you know, we've talked about the linebacker group. I think KJ Keeping him healthy is is of utmost importance because he's kind of that classic middle linebacker. But I think Mike Harris has those abilities as well. And thought after a you know kind of an up and down freshman year when he redshirted, um, you know, like a lot of freshmen, it took him a little while to kind of get get used to you know everything it takes to to be on this level. Thought he did a better job in the spring, and uh, he has the the size and physicality to to step in there in the middle. So. I think he could be one of those guys that might be a surprise to to step in, you're right, and and get a little more playing time to get seasoned and uh, to be able to help this team toward the end of the year.
1: And he'll certainly play some special teams uh, this year, so watch out for that. And as you said, you never know with injuries and also the rotation, you're going to see him out there on defense at some point this season. Uh, We'll move to Twitter now. Sam on Twitter has a uh, (laughs) – a complicated question um, is Gus Malzon actually a great coach, but he's in the same conference as Nick Saban or is he really average compared to coaches nationwide? I mean, that's quite the difference there, Sam. I'll, I'll jump in first. I think Gus Malzahn is a great coach. I've said that I've known him from near and far for a long time. Um Five years from now, he probably won't remember my name, but you know, I'm saying that to say this, I'm not too close to it to where I'm like, yeah, he's a great coach because I know him. He's a great coach because everywhere he's been, he's been successful. And he's been successful in some spots where he probably shouldn't have been, whether it was circumstance or talent. But now he's at Auburn, and I've I've talked about this a lot, where – to do what Gus Malzahn's done, to be t- go to go to two SEC championship games, play in a national championship game, win one SEC title <laughs> as a head coach at Auburn, and do so while Nick Saban is at Alabama—that is nothing to sneeze at. And people will go, "Well, he's got to win more." Well, my reaction to that every time is as simple as this: What other team in the SEC West or in the SEC for that matter has done that during this time? No no one. So in my eyes, just for that fact, Gus Malzahn's a great coach. And that's not counting what we saw him do at Tulsa, what he did obviously during his first stint here at Auburn, what he did in his one year at Arkansas in getting them off the mat. I mean, they went from a losing season to all of a sudden uh, winning 10 games as the offensive coordinator and helping with the quarterbacks and the running backs in the situation there. And then what he did at Arkansas State in his one year there. And then coming to Auburn in the complete, uh, uh, the greatest comeback uh, year to year in college football history at Auburn. So, yes, I think he's a great coach. I don't think he's an average coach uh, on any level, whether it's here in college football or high school. I think he's a great coach. Sometimes, though, you're a victim of circumstance but still, Malzon has managed to win championships in an era where Nick Saban has tried to suck the oxygen completely out of the room. And yet, Gus Malzon's been able to come up for air and still compete and win titles.
0: Yeah. Um, he hasn't tried to suck the air out of the room. He has, he has successfully done that just about everywhere, except, like, you're right, except for. Um, you know, Gus Malzahn and, and, and what he's done at Auburn, um, as a coordinator and then as a head coach. And, uh, you're right. I think, I think very good head coach. Um, not if you're an average head coach at, at Auburn right now, then you're long gone. You're an average head coach in this situation is a guy that's winning six games. Um, and that's it. You're six or seven wins. That's average right now. And because I, I grew up in this state, I grew up. Following Auburn football since I could walk. Um, you know, in, in the 1980s, the job that Pat and I did in, in developing and putting Auburn football on the map was incredible. It was, it was, it was one of those things that changed the fortunes of this program forever. And yes, they had amen corner. Yes, they played some really tough schedules. Um, you know, the 1983 schedule may be the single most difficult schedule an Auburn team has played. You know, this one, this year could be that, you know, that schedule as well. But year in and year out, right now, there's there's never been a coach at Auburn that faces a more difficult challenge than Gus Malzahn does every day when he steps on the job. You, you mentioned Alabama, but, you know, in, in 1983, Mississippi State, okay, maybe when John Bond was playing quarterback, they might have a chance to beat you, but you didn't have to worry about them very much. Ole Miss, you didn't have to worry about. Auburn really didn't play LSU until some a few times in the 80s. You played Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. You played Tennessee, but you didn't have a Texas A&M. There, there's not a game in this league now. Even to Vandy, even to Kentucky, there's not a single game in this league where you go, yep, that's a walkover win. There's not one of those. Um, and then throwing the fact that you've got Alabama doing what they're doing right now. And hey, let's, let's, you know, talk about Georgia. Georgia's much better than they've, than they've been in, in, you know, since 1980s, early 80s with Vince Dooley, um, and then add in what Clemson's done, because you got to include them when you talk about Auburn football and recruiting, and because that's basically an SEC school right now. And so when you talk about having every day to recruit against Clemson and Alabama, Texas A&M, LSU, and then Mississippi State and Ole Miss challenging you. um and those are difficult games, there's it's never been more difficult to be the head coach at Auburn than it is right now.
1: Yeah, in fact, I can't remember. I I think last year I just went back to look at percentage of like top ten and top five teams that a coach at Auburn's had to face. Um, because we talk about, you know, Pat Dye winning SEC championships and The 83 schedule, obviously, which was incredibly difficult, but the percentage of top five games and top 10 games just overall, even with Auburn playing more games every year now than they did, obviously, in the 80s, Gus Malzahn wins by a healthy margin as far as toughest schedule, as far as percentage-wise amount of top five, top 10 games. In fact, I, I... that reminds me, maybe I should go back and look compared to this year, just in the upcoming preseason poll, because, I mean, they're going to have teams that are ranked, I mean, they're going to have at least four teams they're, that they play yeah. away from Jordan-Hare Stadium that are going to be ranked, not counting, of course, Georgia and Alabama at home at Jordan-Hare Stadium that are going to maybe be in the top five, both be in the top five when the preseason polls come out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You look at, you know, no, you know those two there. Oregon probably going to be a top-ten team. Um, they're going to be right there on the borderline. Florida could potentially be a top 10 team. Texas A&M is going to be ranked. LSU is going to be top 15. Um, just at, at that first glance right there, you go, that's, that's as difficult as it gets. And you start running. Okay. Yeah. You get Georgia and Alabama at home, Oregon in, um, in Texas and at LSU, at Texas A&M and at Florida. Uh, I mean, there's nobody in the country that wants to trade for that schedule.
1: And particularly when you even look at it even under further microscope of the LSU game, Auburn hasn't won there since 99, whether LSU's top 10 or not. Um, uh, Auburn, you could say snake bit, whatever you want to say, but not only is it schedule tough, but it's it's tough sometimes to break out of history um, for whatever reason. Um, All right, let's move forward here. Jacob Varner on Twitter asks... How likely is Auburn to receive a notice of allegations for the ongoing incident investigation stemming from the FBI stuff as it relates to Chuck Person? Uh, Jason, um, I haven't heard anything. I'm not ruling it out, but I think there's what I could say. I think Auburn handled things about as perfectly as they could have during that situation two years ago all the way up till now. Um, Chuck Person, who was allegedly... Funnel was given money um, to steer two players that were on the Auburn roster already to a financial advisor. Uh, He apparently funneled some of that money to the two players' families. Since that time, Chuck Person's obviously been fired, and actually he's about to – I think he goes to court this week, actually, to be sentenced after pleading guilty, Chuck Person, um, on July 19th. Meanwhile, at Auburn, they suspended the two players. Um, then, then they brought them back from suspension. Um, and at this point, as, I, as we all know, they have not received a notice of allegations. The one thing that could potentially hover over the head that the NCAA, if they wanted to push really hard on it, and I think people are trying to make the ties to, but they're not similar circumstances with NC State, is that a head coach is responsible for everything? They should know what's going on. But the 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 answer to that from Auburn is that they've handled everything. They've suspended players. They've brought them back. They've communicated with the NCAA. And a, as of right now, it seems like that's that's good enough. Um, and they're fine with that. I don't know what the NCAA is thinking. I haven't talked to anybody about the NCAA. Um, but Auburn's handled this quite a bit differently than, say, some of the other schools, and also the circumstances were different as well.
0: Correct. I agree. Unless there's there's something out there that we don't know or are not privy to, um, I just don't see right now as it stands um, Auburn being or, or being warranted to, to be in this. You're right. They're definitely different circumstances. First of all, the NCAA's always talked about. Um, an advantage, um, recruiting advantage, all those things. The the schools that were involved on the other side of this were recruiting advantages, right? From yep. an Auburn perspective, it was basically trying to get guys to leave early. You're yep. basically trying to get guys to get out of here. That's a completely different scenario, uh, and one that I think people are glossing over nationally. When you look at this that that has to that has to be a different side of things and be handled differently because. Um, Whether you're talking about some of these other schools involved in players, you're talking about guys that were being courted to come into school. Uh, Families being allegedly given money for players to come to school. Uh, In Auburn's case, it was allegedly given money for guys to to eventually get out of school. Um, So yeah, right now, I I think um, unless there's something we don't know, I think you're right. I think Auburn handled it perfectly. They basically punished, been punished more than anybody else in the country already losing two players for a full year and Daniel Purifoy for another half of a year. Uh, nobody else in the country that I'm aware of had anything close to that in terms of no. um, suspensions or things they dealt with. So Auburn went above and beyond um, in handling this thing. And uh, I would think that should pay off. And if it doesn't, and if, and if, if something comes out and if I'm Auburn, then I'm, I would be wielding a flamethrower, uh, in public perception at other schools and at the NCAA. Um, if it were me, you know, that's normally not how Auburn handles things, but if I was involved and and I got brought into this mess again, then I would probably wield a flamethrower.
1: And as you said, especially if nothing new arises from this, I, I don't see how you come back and go, okay, you did all that. You're in communication with us, but we're going to do this unless there's something else out there that we don't know. Correct. I don't see how there's any way the NCAA can come in and say, Hey, further penalties need to be levied. I mean, Auburn's I ain't paid the price. And also, as we mentioned, this is a different situation where they were not trying to bring players in. This was a, an assistant coach being told, Hey, bring these players out toward the NBA. So I can yeah. be their financial right. advisor later in life. And by the way, those players didn't, aren't not declaring early, you know, Austin Wiley's here for four years, which is, I don't think anybody would have ever predict- predicted, predicted no. uh, coming in. So um, let's see. Who's our next question here. Uh, Justin Malakot asks, uh, we all know about Joey Gatewood versus Bo Nix. Of course we do, but what is another competition, at a spot we should watch out for heading into fall camp? Um, briefly for me, it's the defensive tackle spot next to to Derek Brown.
0: What Absolutely. about you? Absolutely, that's number one. That's obviously other than quarterback to me. That is the one that I can't get a grasp on. We've 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 both done kind of lists this summer, and yours is kind of an impact player. Mine is a key player, and we have for different reasons. We've had guys very high. You had Nick Coe very high because. I think we both agree that if he's a full time defensive tackle, it's probably a, a really good move for Auburn. But no matter what, a guy like Conus Miller has to step up and, and make a run. You know, Daquan Newkirk has been, um, you know, dealing with injuries. Tyrone Truesdale, is he, is he explosive enough to take over that role? That's a huge question mark because to me, that kind of signals what you do on the rest of that defensive line
1: absolutely and i'm very interested I, you know i saw your key player and Conus miller being up, ranked so high and you know i looked at my list i was like man i i don't even know if i have him on my list and but you're right about i mean what if Connus miller comes in and then he's the answer um
0: it, it that would be a great surprise it, it would be a game changer for absolutely team because he's physically he's a guy that has that derrick brown type potential at that position he's he's physical uh quick twitch to be a big body you know last year he got in so late in the summer that he just never got in physical condition and he was kind of behind the eight ball but we saw him kind of late in the year made some plays against alabama got in there in, in the bowl game and he was with the first team defensive line some in in both those situations and you know had a much better spring if he can be that consistent guy and allow you to Maybe play Nick Coe some outside and move him around a little bit. But it could be a uh, it it could be a different different scenario altogether for that defensive line.
1: All right, winding down here, we've got two more questions. Which SEC away game is the toughest? LSU, Texas A&M, or Florida?
0: Well, like you mentioned it just a couple of minutes ago, history and Auburn history will tell you that that it's got to be LSU just for nothing else than the fact that it's been 20 years. Um, Auburn hasn't lost to Texas A&M, and Auburn has normally played fairly well at the Swamp, even though it's been a long time since since we made a trip down there uh, to cover a football game. But, yeah, I I think it's got to be LSU for me, Brandon.
1: Definitely. It's got to be LSU. I think it's the uh, rowdiest environment. Um, usually when Auburn's there, um, Texas a m can obviously get very loud, but it's, it's been kind it's, it's of, a different
0: la- it's a different loud. It really is being yeah. on the field there. It's, it's kind of, a a low rumble. It's like they a TV set
1: really being on in the background.
0: It is. It's, it, it, yeah, really, but it's not a, just the, the craziness that you get, um, you know, in in Tiger Stadium, and and you know, Florida's the same. Florida's really loud when when the Gators are really good. That's a place that, um, you know, they have those big walls on the end zones that echoes and yeah. sound. It's a really loud place as well. But uh, yeah, to me, LSU, um, because of the difficulties Auburn's has playing there, that that had to be it for me.
1: Yeah, I agree. And Florida, it, it their fan base is so hot and cold. Um, I, I've been there. I've only been there for two games, but um. Uh, one was near the end of the Urban Meyer era, and I think Mississippi State beat him like seven to three, and uh, boy, was the crowd dead. Um, Mississippi State threw the ball once, and it was a shovel pass in the second half, and they the air was completely out of that stadium, and I, I just remember sitting there going, is this really the Swamp? But it was all a matter of circumstance, and the fans just weren't into the game, and and I was there for another game that I think went to overtime or almost went to overtime. And Florida, I think, won it. Tim Tebow won it at the end. And it was crazy throughout. It's quite the difference in games. Um, both close games, but the fan base was just a little bit different. But LSU by far, I think, is the toughest because the environment and the history. And I think the environment has a lot to do with why Auburn has not won games there. More, I mean, not yeah. more so, but I think almost as much as the teams they've played, the talent uh, of LSU. Yeah. I think,
0: I think it, it's just it, affecting them. I think it's had an impact. You're right. And, um, and it also, the type of teams that you face, um, physical teams, very athletic, and teams that play strong defense and have athletes are never out of a football game. That's what you see at LSU. They're at home. The crowd drives them. Um, create a couple of turnovers, have a big play on special teams. They're always in the game at home, usually because of that. And, and that, that makes it tough to put them away, as we've seen the last two times for Auburn down there. Auburn's had opportunities and, and, and just couldn't finish.
1: Okay, our final question comes from Barnow. Um And this might be a difficult one to answer, as we were talking about media days and just how monotonous it's it's turned, uh, what it's transformed into. But he asks... What's your favorite moment from SEC media days over the years? Um, for me, it has to be interim Vanderbilt coach Robbie Caldwell talking about his days, um, as a, uh, uh working with turkeys, um, and artificial insemination. It it, it uh, was definitely eye opening. He had he, he won the week with a lot of laughs. Um, other than that, all those media days, man, they just they run together. Um, they really do. Um, you know, I, I guess sometimes it's fun to sit there and time how long these coaches filibuster when they have like something they don't want to really an, an- a question to ask or be answered or whatever later on. I remember Gene Chizik doing that one year. He talked for a long time. Les Miles was the king of it, of filler bustering with uh, opening comments. But other than that,
0: uh,
1: that was really funny, and that's that's the moment that really sticks out to me over the years.
0: Yeah, I probably don't have a specific moment, but I, for me, getting started um, in this business, it was Steve Spurrier, Lou Holtz. Um, I had the opportunity. To take in some of the, you know, the biggest characters that we've we've seen in a long time in this league, and to see those guys work a room and and do the things they did um, at SEC Media Days was extremely fun um, for a for a guy just kind of getting into business. Watching and and listening and seeing how they did things um, was pretty eye opening, and and. Obviously, at the same time, Tommy Tullerville was coming in and a guy that, um, you know, we had a ton of access with um, that opened things up to us. And it was it was very, you know, we talked about being very different. It, it, it is night and day compared to, to what we you know, what we have now. And but, uh, to go back and think about those opportunities and and some of those times and coaches now uh, obviously don't say very much. Um Steve Spurrier, Lou Holtz, they never had a problem saying a whole lot. They they just kind of opened it up and said what they felt, and that was it. Uh, but uh, not many do that uh, nowadays.
1: May I suggest the SEC create a new position of SEC football czar and hire Steve Spurrier? so he can go up to SEC media days every year and speak and maybe even have to answer questions about a crazy uh, uh, rule change or a crazy event happening in a game and have to answer for it and just go, well, that's just the way the ball bounces. It's too bad. It's too bad Tennessee isn't better.
0: uh, It would be spectacular (laughs) to have him involved in some form or fashion, that's for sure.
1: they got to do it. Florida's got him, I think. They have him in an office now. I'm sure he's still there now after the uh, Alliance of American Football folded, but I know he's – He's got an office at Florida now. Um, I'd be interested to see him and Dan Mullen interact. I wonder what he really thinks of Dan Mullen. Because um, Dan, Dan worshipped that guy um, growing up, coming through the industry and everything. But uh, they're different personalities anyway. Okay, well, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Jason and I will catch you guys on the message boards over at auburn.247sports.com and of course we will be in Hoover Thursday to catch up with Gus Malzon, Derek Brown, Marlon Davidson, and Prince Tega to figure out what's going on, what summer's been like, and uh, then we will be two weeks from then. Practices will be underway. So we're almost there, folks. Just hang in there. For Jason, I'm Brandon. We'll see you down the road.
0: No one has it covered like 24-7 sports. Go undercover with Auburn Undercover.